0: Well, there are uh, different kinds of maturity, uh, that we experience growing up. So there's the physical maturity part, and that just, that happens naturally. You don't have to do much for it to happen. It just begins to happen automatically in your body. Your body's kind of pre-programmed within the cells. But then there's another kind of maturity that we, we refer to as spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity is not just the accumulation of knowledge. It's not just having more verses memorized and, and understanding theology and un- nuances and so forth. That's not what spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity is knowing who you are in Jesus and who Jesus is in you. And that being expressed through faith that leads to acts of love towards God, towards yourself and towards others. That's what spiritual maturity is. But there's also a different kind of maturity, which is a maturing that happens within our souls. And, and the maturing in our souls happens as as we begin to, to learn some things in life, right? We begin to, to grow in our understanding and our wisdom. So, for example, we start to, to understand more about you know, don't pee on electric fences, right? That's a that's a sign of wisdom and maturity in your in your thinking. And that leads to better choices as well, right? Choices where you begin to discover that the four major food groups are not chips, cake, ice cream, and pie, right? That's not what the major food groups are. So you start making healthier choices with your diet and so forth. But then there's also maturing that happens within our emotions, where our, kind of like our emotional IQ begins to grow and to develop. And and what's interesting about the the difference in your body and the soul and the spirit in terms of maturation is, your, again, your body, you don't have to do anything. It just naturally happens on its own. But within the soul and the spirit, that's something that we need to be intentional about. That's something that doesn't just naturally happen on its own. There are a lot of people who have been maturing in their body, and they're age 40, but their maturity level is rather low. <laughs> so... We need to be intentional about maturing and growing, all right? <clears throat> so most mornings, what we do is we focus in on the spiritual maturity part. We want to grow in understanding our spirit. What we're going to do to, this morning, though, is we're going to apply what we've been learning and what we've been talking about and understand what does that mean and look like in the realm of our soul. So we're going to focus on the soul. Specifically this morning, we're going to look at the, the place called emotions, feelings, now, emotions, that can be such a messy place. It's, uh, it, it just gets such a, it's hard to figure out sometimes. And so a lot of us, we just want to ignore them. We just don't want anything to do with them. That, that's for me in many ways. My, my emotions have been so shame-filled, so uncomfortable, so, uh, overwhelming at times. I just, I want nothing to do with them at all. I remember, I remember a time when I thought that we could ban emotions. I figured I'd start a petition right? There's websites now for that. Go start a petition. And I think fig- I was really sure I could get 50% of the whole population plus one person. And I could take that petition to God and say, now, God, you got to honor this. I mean, democracy, right? And, and he would ban emotions and that would make life so much easier, so much cleaner. And that's what I was looking for because my emotions were just messy and difficult and painful and just would often lead to having so much trouble in my life. But thankfully, God would never honor such a request because as I've matured and I begin to see the value importance of emotions. See, emotions matter to relationships. Without, Without emotions, you can't really have a relationship because relationships run on these emotions for both good and for bad. You see, emotions, what they do is they will build something, either a bridge to build a relationship between two people or a barrier between two people. It's one or the other. One author, a man named John Powell, he wrote a book called Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? And I haven't read the book, but I came across this quote that I thought was so good. He says this, to tell you thoughts is to locate myself in a category. To tell you my feelings is to tell you about me. See, if I tell you my thoughts, I can tell you a little bit about who I am as a person in general. And so, for example, I could tell you about how I like sports. I like all sports and I I like adventure and I like challenges and so forth. And and I'm a Christian and and I could tell you about some of the things I believe in. and, And those are my thoughts. And that would help slot me into a category. The problem is when you put me in that kind of a category, you don't necessarily know me. What ends up happening is you have some broad strokes about me, but you might now begin to pigeonhole me and think of me like other people that would fit in that category. And so you don't really know me. It's not until I begin to tell you my feelings. I begin to share my heart with you that you really discover who I am beyond just some of the informational aspects of myself. And so that's what happens. That's why emotions matter so much. So this morning, the text we're going to use is Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 6. And at first glance, you look at this and you're like, where are the emotions in there? And you're going to see later on, I think, as we go on, how it kind of ties into all this. Again, this is more of the application aspect of things. But the passages in Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 6, you can read on the screen along with me if you want. But Paul writes here, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we talk about this thing that's been really messy and difficult and caused a lot of pain and heartache in, in our hearts and our lives, I, we're praying for your Holy Spirit to be the teacher, to be the counselor, to help us understand how your truth, your spiritual truths, how that maturation that takes place there filters down and impacts our soul so we can mature as people. We can mature in our relationship with one another, uh, in a community, but even just give ourselves a bit more understanding and grace towards ourselves. So we're looking forward to what you're going to do here. In your name we pray. Amen. So the, the one thing that I I commonly see, probably a big deception uh, that I commonly see around this idea of emotions, and it's not just in the world, I think maybe even more so in the church, is basically what we've done, we've categorized or moralized our emotions. So emotions are either good or bad. They're sort of one or the other. And so... <clears throat> You know, you think about how we talk about emotions. We talk about emotions in that sense, right? About it being a good emotion or feeling good or I'm feeling negative or ne- positive and so forth. And And so positive or right emotions, they could include things such as happy and, peaceful and confident and excited and joyful and hopeful and energetic and safe and carefree and caring about others and wanting to love people and so forth. These are all what we see as good and positive emotions. And, you know, the reality is who wouldn't want to feel those things? Those are those are wonderful things to feel. But then if there's positive emotions, then there must also be negative emotions. And so negative emotions would be things such as sad and inferior and depressed and hopeless and sorrowful and afraid and shame and overwhelmed and angry and frustration and miserable and on and on and on. You know, I found it interesting. It was a whole lot easier to make that list than the so-called positive list. But here's, here's the problem when we start having these positive and negative, uh, terms or, or uh, titles for these emotions. What ends up happening is that there's an implication attached to it. That if you have one of these positive emotions, then you're doing okay. Then you pass the test. Then, then you're now acceptable. But if you're struggling, if you're experiencing one of the negative emotions, if you're sad, if you're depressed, if something's not quite right, now, well, now there's something wrong. Now, now it's not okay. Now you're not okay. There's something wrong with you. And so <clears throat> we now begin to feel like a disappointment and so forth. So, for our purposes this morning, I'm gonna. I want you to see it and think of it this way. And again, this is a huge oversimplification, but I want you to think about our emotions as like this pendulum, and and we've got these so-called positive and negative emotions on either side of the pendulum. And so, what happens is, you know, our feelings they're gonna they're gonna kind of drift towards one of these sides. And and ba- the factors that go into why we feel what we feel are limitless. I mean, it depends on so many things. It depends on your past. It depends on your present. Depends on your potential future. It depends on you know, how much sleep you got the night before. And it depends on, you know, when was the last time you ate? And who's around you right now? And how are the kids behaving? And is it a full moon? And is it rainy? Or is it sunny? Is it cold? Or is it warm? Or how many butterflies hatched in Peru last February? I mean, there's so many factors that go into deciding what you feel. But you're going to end up in drifting towards one or the other. And so what we want to do, what we're hoping for often is our emotions will kind of swing towards the so-called positive side. And I'm feeling happy and joyful and peaceful and everything's great and everything's wonderful until it's not and something changes. And I don't always know what changes, but something changes. And suddenly now my emotions begin to drift to the other side. And now I'm not feeling all those so-called positive ones. Now I'm beginning to experience some despair or loneliness or frustration and so forth. And so what ends up happening is it goes back and forth, back and forth and it's miserable. We don't enjoy that, and so we only want to feel all the so-called positive emotions. So what we try to do is we try to control these emotions. We try to control all the factors to make sure that we get the particular outcome that we want to have. So really what we're trying to do is we're trying to control our emotions, and there's a number of ways which we might try to control our emotions. We might try to control the circumstances and the people around us, Because we falsely believe, as we'll see, that that's the reason why we're feeling what we're feeling. So if I can control everything, then I'll be okay. And so I desperately go into this idea of trying to control, try to manufacture the circumstances that will lead to me having happiness and peace. Or if that doesn't work, then I just try to ignore the problem. Just sort of check out Netflix and chill, avoid the bad, just do what makes me feel good. And maybe what that means is I just start to eat more, and drink more, and uh, maybe look to sex, or avoid responsibilities, or or eat cake, or chocolate cake, or chocolate cake with icing, right? I mean, I just eat something to make myself feel better in that moment. Or then we just begin to ignore the emotions, just sort of stuff them deep down, pretend they're not there, just a big game, everything's fine, everything's okay, just hoping to move on to the next issue, the next thing. Maybe somehow something will fall into place and my emotions will end up on the back on the right side. But kind of like trying to nail jello against the wall, it just doesn't stick. And what ends up happening, no matter how hard you try, that pendulum just keeps swinging back and forth, back and forth. And we we almost become like these drug addicts where we're addicted to the high of the so-called positive emotions that will do anything we can to get back there. But it's seemingly the low, the so-called negative, tends to get more amplified and more worse. And this pendulum just swings back and forth. And, and the reality is, the reason for this is because you and I, we simply can't control our emotions. Now, just so we're clear, because some people... They understand that a little bit different. They might say, well, the stoic has learned to control their emotions. The person who just seems to be unflappable and never changing. And the reality is, I don't think they have. See, they're just letting their emotions control them in another way. See, let me give you this example. Suppose Mark has offended me so bad. Well, I'll tell you later why. But Mark's done something, he's offended me so bad, I'm so angry and I'm so upset because he's been trying to control me. And I said, that's it, enough. He's never going to control me anymore. I refuse to let him dictate what I'm going to do. I'm never going to be around him anymore. So Mark walks into the room and I walk out. What has Mark just done? He just controlled me. By me refusing to to you know, avoid him at all costs because you'll never control me that way, he ends up controlling me. Well, if I do that with my emotions, if I say I'm never going to let my emotions control me, what I will end up doing is I will choose circumstances that will give me the best opportunity to have particular emotions, thereby letting those emotions control me. And that that's not what we want to have. We don't want to be controlled by the emotions, either by the person who's, you know, the quote-unquote unflappable, who doesn't experience any kind of emotions, or the person who's just flying all over the place. Neither of those are healthy. So let's try to begin to understand some some concepts or some, make some statements about, I think, what healthy emotions are. So the first statement here is, emotions are neither good nor bad. Instead, it's better to think of them as light or heavy. See, again, we've moralized emotions. There's good, there's bad, there's right, and there's wrong. And the reality is emotions just are. That's it. There's no morality, no positive or negative value attached to it. They just are. Whatever you're feeling is whatever you're feeling. But it's better to think of it as being light and heavy. It's easy to be happy. It's easy to be peaceful. It's easy to have joy, to have hope, to live carefree. That's a light emotion to carry. But it's not so easy. It's a whole lot heavier to carry things such as despair and depression and feeling weighed down and overwhelmed and frustrated. That's harder to carry, but it's not wrong. See, when we moralize emotions, say it's good and bad, right and wrong, what ends up happening is now certain emotions become sinful. Good Christians don't get angry. If you were really trusting the Lord, you would never feel depressed. If you were really close to Jesus, you wouldn't have any kind of despair. If you were really walking with Jesus, you would have all kinds of joy in your step. You would be, off, off you go. And yet that's not fully the account we know of Jesus, a man who is acquainted with sorrow. I mean, Jesus experienced the whole gambit of human emotion because it's not right or wrong. It just are. And so we need to begin to give ourselves permission to feel what we're feeling. And the best way to do that is to recognize it's not right or wrong, that it's okay in fact, Ephesians 4, 26, Paul says, be angry, yet do not sin out of your anger. There are two commands in that verse. And the first command is what? Be angry. There are things in this world we ought to be angry about. It's at this point where people say, well, that, that's a, a righteous anger. Boy, you know, when Jesus walked into the temple with that anger, that was a righteous anger he had. And that's okay. So we're allowed a righteous anger just not regular anger and my response to that is well how does righteous anger feel different than regular anger it doesn't it's just anger that's how it works there is no difference plus the bible doesn't say be righteously angry it just says be angry there are things in this world we ought to be angry about and that's okay because it's not the anger that's right or wrong. The question is, what are you going to do with it? How will you respond or react to that anger? That's where the sin can happen. So we're giving ourselves permission. Paul's giving us, uh, giving us permission to be angry. Just learn to make good choices out of that, right? That anger might lead to change or, or, or writing some wrong or, or um, applying some justice. It's not wrong to experience anger. So emotions are light or heavy, not right or wrong, not good or bad. That helps explain, I think, a little bit for some people who've had a lot of heavy emotions in their life based on their past or their present or what they're going through and, or have gone through. And what ends up happening is those emotions get so heavy on them, they almost get stuck in there. It just begins to weigh them down to the point where they just feel so hard for them to begin to get up. And what an opportunity that is for you and I as the body of Christ to come around and love those people. But here's the mistake we often make. Often what happens is we want to cheer those people up partly for good motives. We want to see them not being so weighed down, but partly for selfish motives. Because that person's anger or that person's despair or that person's hopelessness or depression, well, that's awkward for me. It's hard to be around that person. <clears throat> so I, I don't want to feel that way, so I want to cheer them up so I can feel better about myself, so it's more comfortable for me. That's not love. Love is just sitting with that person. Scripture tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice, but also weep with those who weep. Just the, the gift it is to sit with a brother or sister when they're experiencing those uncomfortable, heavy emotions. All right, next statement. <clears throat> Emotions are God-given and integral to being human and therefore being made in the image of God. Man, that was big for me. That was so big for me. I still remember the day, I'm kind of reading through the book of Matthew and I came across this verse where Jesus or God is talking about his son, Jesus, and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased in my soul. And it hit me. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I knew God was a spirit, but God has a soul? That, that blew my mind. And then in hindsight, it was like, kind of like, well, duh. Of course he has a soul, right? A soul's a mind and a will and emotions. Of course God has a mind. Of course God has a will. He makes choices. Of course God has emotions. But what was so big for me was if God, who is a spirit who has, has a soul, if he can have a soul, then it's okay for me to have a soul. It's okay for me to have emotions because what I'd done is I'd made my emotions sinful and it was wrong. Like I get rid of those things, but actually it's what makes me fully human. It to lose my emotions. If I were to have banned them, I wouldn't have been human, but I also wouldn't have been in the image of God. And so emotions are important and they're integral. It was okay for us to have emotions. It's good for us to have emotions. But again, now, think about a world without emotions. What happens to relationships? They break down. Because it's really impossible to have a relationship with someone without having some kind of an emotional connection to them. Oh, sure, you might have like a business contract or some kind of an arrangement and so forth with someone, but that's not a real relationship. That's not one on the human level, on the emotional level. And so if we want to connect with other people on a heart level, we need to connect even on the emotional side of things. And that's true for one another, but it's also true with God. All right, next statement. Emotions, having emotions is not an indication of weakness. You know, sometimes what we do is we, we see being stoic, this idea where people's emotions never change and they're, they're rock solid, and we see that almost as like a, the goal. That's the, the standard of excellence. That person has arrived. That person has figured it out because they're unflappable. And we've made that the goal wrongly. I mean, look through the, the characters of the Bible the great men and women of God. Not only Jesus did he have emotions, right? He wept when Lazarus died. But think about people like Paul or David. I mean, David, read the Psalms. I mean, he's he experienced every kind of emotion and not like little bits. He went to great extremes, great joy when he came back from defeating armies and he's dancing like a fool. Oh, I love that. Dancing like an idiot, down Main Street in front of everybody, making a fool of himself that his own wife was embarrassed. Didn't care, had too much joy. But he also had great despair, depression, wanting to end it all, vengeance, thank you. Vengeance, wanting to, to just you know, kill his enemies, or God to kill his enemies. He had envy and jealousy and bitterness. He had every kind of emotion. And what do we know about David? He was a man after God's own heart. And so, you know, not having emotions, or 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 having these emotions, thinking that oh, there's something wrong. You need to get stronger. You need to toughen up. You know, boys don't cry. That sort of idea. That's not true. It's not real. Next one, emotions don't ever tell us what's true, only that something is happening. See, emotions, emotions are real, but they're never factual. This is why they can't be good or bad. They're real, but they're never factual. What do I mean by that? Well, have you ever been kind of walking in a parking lot late at night, and you feel like someone's behind you? Anyone have that experience? And then you turn around, and guess what? Nobody's there, right? So the feeling of that was, was real. You actually had the feeling. But the reality, the fact, didn't line up with it. The problem is, on you know, nine times you'll have that feeling and no one's there. And then on the tenth time, you have that feeling and guess what? Someone's there. And the mistake we make is, ah, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I was right. I can trust my gut. And we elevate now our feeler to being the truth teller. We elevate our feeler to tell us what's factual now. So if I feel loved, then the fact must be I am loved. But if I don't feel loved, then the truth must be I'm not loved. And so I'm letting my feelings dictate what's real and what's truthful now. But the reality is feelings don't do that. That's not their job. They're not telling me what's, what's factual. All they're doing is they're informing me that something is happening. I don't know what's happening, but something's happening. The best way to think about your feeling this way, then, is sort of like the light, the dashboard light on your car. When the dashboard light in your car comes on, it's not telling you all the problems. You're saying, something's wrong. Check it out. Something's happening. And so that's what we're doing. See, the mistake we make is when you say, well, I just got to ignore and stuff those feelings, that's basically the check engine light comes on your car, and you go, well, I know how to fix this. And you get some black electrical tape and put it over the light, go, problem solved. Away I go. Aren't I so clever? Boom, boom, boom. Right? I mean, you're you're hurting yourself. So you don't ignore the feelings. If you feel like someone's behind you, and you feel like they got a bloody ax, guess what you do? Check it out. Look. Find out what's real. And if they do have a bloody ax, run. Run. Don't matter where. Just run. Right? But you got to find out what's real and what's true first. So don't ignore. Don't stuff your feelings. Just don't let them try to tell you what's what's true, what's real. But because of that, because feelings can tell us something's happening, now we could actually use that to our benefit. See, what happens for a lot of people is they often think that their their circumstances results in their reactions, right? So they have this idea almost, if we can put the next slide up here, this idea of A equals C. This idea that my circumstances result in these reactions. You'll hear it when people say, you made me so angry. Right? That what you said, what you did, what happened, made me so angry. And so what they're saying basically is, my reaction is completely 100% tied to my circumstances and what's happening. But that's not the case. Let me give you an example. We have two men. And these two men are experiencing the same circumstances. It's a rainstorm. One guy is overjoyed. That's his reaction. Another guy is angry and sad and depressed. That's his reaction. Same circumstances, two different reactions. Why? Well, one guy is a farmer. And the farmer is overjoyed for the rain to grow his crops, particularly if it's been a long time since it's rained. But the other guy is a golfer. And when it rains, he can't golf. And so he's miserable. He's a bear. Same same situation, different reactions. Why? Because each of them have a different belief about rain. And so that's the missing piece of the equation here. It's not just the circumstances. It's the circumstances plus what you're feeling or believing about the circumstances that determines your reaction. So if you if you um, if you believe in this case that the rain is bad, then you're going to be miserable. And so, what often happens now is is we can allow our our uh, our reaction, our feelings, to begin to give us insight as to what's really going on. Why am I so angry? Why am I so upset? Why am I so envious and jealous, or or bitter, or depressed, or anxious? What is it that I believe? What's really happening in all this? And so we can kind of begin to, to to kind of follow it out backwards. So let me give you this example: anger, right? Anger is very much connected to whatever you're committed to, whatever you're trusting in. That's if that's not happening, if it's not playing out the way you want it to play out, that will often lead to anger because you got a blocked goal. So, for example, if you really believe that you know money is going to keep you safe and your financial security is what's going to provide for you, and that's what you need, then you're going to put everything you can into making money. And if something is blocking that, if it's not happening the way you want it to happen, then that's going to cause this anger because it's a blocked goal. Well, what that anger can begin to point to us now is you're putting your faith in the wrong, sum, wrong, wrong substance. You're committed to the wrong thing. Or maybe it's anxious. You're feeling anxious and anxiety. And because you're trying to control everything and it's out of control, well, that feeling of anxiety can tell you that you're committed to something, to some circumstances or to a situation or to a particular outcome that isn't where life is found. And so you can allow these, these so-called negative emotions, which really just these difficult things we're experiencing, to kind of help us to discover where maybe I've misplaced my faith. Now, please don't hear this as, oh, see, it's, it is sinful. No, that's not about being sinful. It's about growing up and maturing. It's, it's not something that you set out to do wrong. It's just we're all still learning to walk in the Spirit. And we're learning to trust Jesus in greater ways and in, in more ways and in new ways. And so, again, you've got great permission to struggle. Man, if you get one thing, if you get one thing out of this morning, may that be it. The permission to struggle. The permission to feel whatever you're feeling. It's okay to feel what you're feeling. All right, next statement. We're never told to control our emotions, but rather to acknowledge them. I don't know of anywhere in scripture where it says to control the emotions. Your choices, your reactions, absolutely, but not your emotions. And instead, we just simply get to acknowledge them. Again, David's psalms are such an example of this. Because every time what he was doing, he was crying out to God with these emotions. God, this is what I'm feeling i'm feeling depressed oh my soul why are you so cast down why am i so tired and exhausted and overwhelmed and frustrated just giving yourself permission to feel those emotions might be the first step to laying down that burden because as long as you're denying that you got the emotion there in the first place as long as you're denying the burden exists how do you ever lay it down and so what we can learn now are what are some healthy ways to express those emotions. How do we express things like anger, and fear, and joy, and, and pleasure, and even pride, and, and so forth. How do we express those emotions and do so in a healthy way as we grow and mature in those things? Well, that brings us back to our passage. So the passage we read, Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to focus on where you and I are seated today. Where does this verse tell us? You and I are seated in heavenly places. This is not something that might happen one day in the future. This is not something that we can hope for. This is something that is our present reality today. Now, yes, right now you are seated in this gym here. But spiritually, you and I are currently seated with Christ in heavenly places. This goes all the way back to our union with Jesus. That you're in him and he's in you and you're one with him. And what's true of him is now true of you. And so since Jesus died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he rose, we rose. But when he ascended and was seated at the right hand of the Father, what happened to us? We ascended and we are currently seated with him at the right hand of the Father. In heavenly places. There are so many implications to this. Number one, do you ever have to wonder or worry, will you make it to heaven one day? No, why not? Because you're already there, right? You're already seated in heavenly places. But you're not, you're not just there, you're seated. I mean, that in itself is a statement. You know, I I think of weddings that I've gone to, right? You go to the wedding, and and then afterwards you go to the reception. And one of the first things I do when I get to the reception is I look for the seating chart. And i got to find where I'm seated. Now, if I look at that seating chart and I don't find my name, what does that tell me? I don't belong, right? But if I find my name, what does that say? I've got a place. I fit in. I belong. This is for me. And so you and I, being seated in heavenly places, what does that tell us? Not only are you in heaven, but you belong in heaven today. Not one day in the future if you do this, this, and this, and that. No, no, today you belong. But let's go one step further, because in that wedding reception, not all seats are equal, right? Some seats are by the servery, so a little noisier and busier. Others are by the washroom, which come with their own little fragrance. Thanks. Others are sitting behind that pole, so you can't quite see the head table. Others are with Aunt Judith, who just doesn't quite know how to shower and not stop talking, right? So, so the odd all seats are equal. Well, where are you and I seated in this example? At the right hand of the Father. You're at the head table. You're right there in this place of honor. By grace, you've been saved. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't accomplish it. You didn't achieve it. You don't maintain it. It's all done by Jesus Christ. Complete and finished. But I think it's more than that. When I kind of picture this, I remember that God is not just my king. He's not just my Lord. He's also my daddy. And I got five little babies still at home. Not so little anymore, but they're still always going to be my baby. But when they were really little, whenever I sat on the floor, I took my life into my, into, in my own hands. Like, I, it was dangerous because where did my five kids want to be at that moment? On daddy, like sometimes on my lap, sometimes on my head and shoulders. They just, they just on me. But the one place they loved the most was my lap. Because I could wrap my big, strong, strong arms around them and give them a hug and hold them tight. And that's what they wanted. Because what did that say to them? It told them that they're loved and they're accepted and that they belong, and they're safe, and they're significant and valuable to me. That's what that love, that hug did. Well, you and I, more than just being seated next to our daddy, we get to climb up on our daddy's lap, and he wraps his big, strong arms around you and I, and he holds you tight. And in that hug, what is he telling you? You are 100% loved. You are 100% perfect and clean and acceptable. You have infinite worth. And you're forever safe. Because you're all mine. That's who you are. That's what we have today. And that's our truth. That's our reality. So... I think what this helps us do is we get to live what I what not what I've called with what, what the author of um, uh, Dan Stone of the author of the rest of the gospel called live above the line. So if you go to the next slide here, we've got the, the emotions and the pendulum of all those emotions and they can swing back again. And it might change from month to month or week to week or even day to day and sometimes hour to hour back and forth in those emotions. But the reality is you and I were seated in heavenly places. We get to live above the line. And what that does is it hopefully will begin to change our perspective. See, think of it this way. A hurricane has a very different look and feel to it, depending if you're in the middle of the hurricane or if you're looking at the hurricane from a satellite photo. I mean, when you're in the hurricane and it's always that poor, you know, weatherman, intern, who's been sent off to cover it, and he's like holding on to the lamppost. Bob, it's windy. Well, duh, it's a hurricane. Like, don't you know how it works? And they're just like, hold on for dear life, and everything's blown by. Gone, there goes Kansas and Toto and everything, and it's just this disaster that they're in. But then you get the shot from above, the satellite, and this big giant storm looks almost peaceful as it slowly moves across. Well, perspective changes everything. So you and I, we might be experiencing the storm in our emotions, feeling despair and the depression and so forth, but it's okay. It's okay to feel that don't have to ignore it. You don't have to pretend it's not there. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to try to get back to feeling happy and joyful as quickly as you can. It's okay because you're okay. You're completely loved. You see, what if, what if we made our commitment, what if we decided to put all our eggs, all of our faith in this simple truth that you and I are seated with him in heavenly places? That were loved by God. Now I have permission to feel depressed. I have permission to feel anxious because that anxiety, that depression, that frustration, that overwhelm, whatever it is I'm feeling, does not in any way change who I am. It does not diminish who I am. And it's just, it's okay. And now it's sort of like it's having a cold. It's it's miserable and it's not fun, but it will pass and you'll be back to normal again. But I haven't changed. And so we can change our perspective and change our confidence in knowing who we are. And what this does is I can now live free. I'm no longer desperately trying to fix my emotions in order to become free, to become acceptable. I can just live free. And I can love others. I can love others that are struggling, not trying to fix their emotions so that I feel comfortable, but I can just sit with them and love them right where they're at. I can release past hurts and troubles that have been influencing some of the bad choices that I've been making because I'm okay. And then I have the freedom to share. I can tell you that I'm feeling down today or I'm struggling with this. See, too often I can't tell people I'm struggling with this because if I did, then they would think less of me, and then I wouldn't be OK. And and I just I keep it all tightly wound up, and it just makes it worse. But I can open up, knowing full well that nothing changes about who I am. So I can live like an open book. So how do we apply this? Well, number one, give yourself permission to feel. Whatever you're feeling, Just it's OK. It doesn't make it what you're feeling true or untrue or anything like that. It's just it's, it's telling us something's happening. And if, if I'm feeling peace and joy, celebrate that. That's great. That's a wonderful gift from your Father. And if you're feeling anxious and depressed or, or worried or fearful or, or down or overwhelmed, that too is a gift from Father. He's just saying, there's something here that you're struggling with that we don't need to struggle with anymore. And I want to help you with that. But to understand either of those gifts, the first thing you got to do is recognize what you're feeling. So giving yourself permission to feel. Number two, go to God with those feelings. Cry out to him. God, why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling so down and so low? Why do I feel so such despair and frustration? What is it that I'm struggling with? What's the What's the real issue here? I think it's the circumstances, but I know it's bigger than that. So what is it that I'm believing? What is it that I've placed my trust in that isn't providing the life that I'm looking for? And so we can go to God for that. But sometimes what God wants to do is he wants to use other people. And so maybe there's a friend, a family member, someone you can begin to open up to and share. This is where I'm at, and this is what I'm struggling with. Can you help me? Can you pray with me? Can 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 you just listen as I talk it out? Because as I talk it out with you, then that's how I could hear from God, and then God could begin to open things up to me. And then you could give that person the gift of just listening to them. Not judging, not trying to fix, just listening to them. And we could begin to mature in our soul. And then sometimes we need help from a larger community. We need help from, from people who are trained and have, have greater skills and expertise in this area. And here at New Life, we've been blessed. We've got a, a group of people that are, are trained to help people in counseling. I, for one, I'm part of a ministry called Crossways to Life where where Sue and Peter and, um, and myself, we're, we're counseling there. We have another person there, Will, who we do Christ-centered counseling. We get help people understand why they're feeling what they're feeling and what God's wanting to do in their lives. We've also got Ian, who's a part of another ministry, who's who's more trained. He's got all kinds of letters after his name to, to do counseling. And so all of us, we love to sit with you and talk with you and help you as you begin to heal and grow. Because that's what we want to see. We want to see maturity. Because that's what this world needs. It needs people, men and women, who are mature in their spirits, maturing in their soul, out there, loving on this hurting world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help people understand what they're feeling and what they're struggling with is okay to struggle. That it's not a sign, it's not a statement of who they are, of their value, of their significance, of their love, or their standing with you. That they are perfect in you. Seated with you in heavenly places. And that they would feel the the nudge as you pull them up onto your lap and embrace them and hold them tight. And they can unburden themselves with these heavy emotions that aren't wrong but aren't always easy to carry. And no, they don't have to carry it alone. That you have offered yourself either directly or through your body, the church, to come alongside them and to support them and love them. And they would experience freedom in life as a result. In your name we pray, amen.